Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Divorce and Addiction, A Guide to Move Forward, visit www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. A divorce coach in the collaborative process is helping the couple move forward. And the analogy he gave is think of a therapist. They help you pack and unpack your luggage three, four, five times to get it just right for the trip. And the coach helps you pick up your bag and walk you through the airport. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome back to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we have a returning special guest, my friend and attorney, Beth McCormick. For those of you who have not met Beth, she is an extremely experienced family law attorney based here in Chicago with me, and she has a particular focus in her practice on high net worth, complex litigation, mediation, and collaborative law. Um, And she also, for those of you who have heard her other uh, episodes on Divorce and Beyond, you also know that she also represents children and is appointed by the court in a number of cases. And it really means that she has an unparalleled ability to navigate complex parenting issues. So she's really the full circle. She's the the whole enchilada, folks. She's got, you know, the, the parenting side and the financial side. And for those of you who have not had a chance, she has two prior episodes of Divorce and Beyond. The first one was advice from a billion-dollar divorce attorney, which was really well-received. And then she did also for us a special two-part series entitled, I loved this title, G-A-L-A-M-C-O-M-G. (laughs) What is the role of a guardian ad litem and attorney for the children in divorce? Um, And those are wonderful resources. I'll link to those in the show notes so that you all can go back and listen to those if those are of interest to you. But 
I asked Beth to come back because one thing I know about her being a friend and a colleague is that her practice is really founded on compassion and empathy, not words that I think everyone always associates with those of us who are divorce attorneys, but Beth takes it her her role in supporting her clients very seriously, and she's aware of her clients' needs, but not just her client, the entire family unit as a whole. And that is one of the things that I think has led her to be such a proponent of the collaborative approach to divorce. And so she and I were out to lunch not long ago, and we were talking about the benefits of a collaborative approach to divorce. And she mentioned that, you know, she's had a number of cases that are very, very different cases, but that had all benefited from the parties adopting that collaborative approach. So we thought it might be really helpful to you, the listeners, to instead of just hearing what the benefits are of collaborative divorce, to hear that actual practical application of how they helped different families. So Beth is going to dive in. We're going to go into some, you know, some details, but not anything that is in any way descriptive of her actual cases or clients. She would never do that. But she's going to give some examples from the many cases that she's handled of concrete ways going collaborative has helped people. So first, let me just say after that long intro, thank you so much for coming back, Beth. I'm so happy to be back. The only thing I'll add to the intro is that we often explain to the consumers, the clients, collaborative is with a capital C because everybody knows what collaborative means and they appreciate and understand the need to collaborate if that's in fact their mindset. Collaborative law as a brand, as an approach is very unique and requires certain things that I'd like to explain so that it makes more sense to people. Well, and I think that's a wonderful sort of addition to what I said, and maybe that's a really good place to start because I don't think everyone knows exactly what a collaborative divorce with the big C actually means. So let's start there for listeners with you know what that collaborative approach to divorce entails. So it's a team-based approach where all of the professional team members are trained mediators. So each person has a lawyer and the lawyers are acting in a capacity that's it's called a limited scope engagement. So as a practitioner, I am being hired to act as an attorney only, only in the collaborative process. So if by chance the parties, the couple, they don't reach terms on the whole case, I'm excluded from being an attorney in litigation or mediation or any other process. So by that very nature, it I have skin in the game. All of the professionals have skin in the game. We all are committed to getting it done at that table. And it encourages people to not waste time and money and energy and resources. If you have one meeting or 17 meetings, it's an investment. And rarely do people want to give up on it. So it's a, an approach that's been around for 30 plus years. Um, the people who crafted it still exist today and practice in it and teach us and teach us best practices. I've been doing it personally for around 15 years. It transformed my practice 
because as a practitioner, I was always curious, why would I sit and listen to people's emotional concerns as a lawyer at an exorbitant hourly rate when I'm not equipped to help with it? There's nothing legal about a lot of the emotion that people bring to us. A lot of lawyers love that because it's like, yeah, I can listen all day long. Exactly. Because (laughs) time is money. So the good news is um, this process allows a coach, often a neutral coach, to deal with all the emotional issues. And that coach, or sometimes there's two coaches, and without going down that rabbit hole, the professionals determine what makes more sense, whether a one coach or a two coach model. That person or those people deal with the emotional issues. I had a colleague, I um, can credit for coming up with the analogy between why we have a coach versus a therapist. Everyone should have a therapist. That's a separate professional outside the process. A divorce coach in the collaborative process is helping the couple move forward. And the analogy he gave is think of a therapist They help you pack and unpack your luggage three, four, five times to get it just right for the trip. And the coach helps you pick up your bag and walk you through the airport. When people want to go back and unpack everything, they're like, no, no, that's not going to be helpful here. And believe it or not, most people appreciate it because time is money. And if the emotions don't help us understand an outcome, then let's move forward. And then the last professional on the team is a financial neutral who gathers, synthesizes, analyzes, and helps come up with solutions to possible solutions to how to resolve the financial issues. So it's a team-based approach, very, very different from mediation, but it's using mediation principles, but using each professional for their their best skill set. And ultimately, it can save money, but for sure, it's having the best equipped person helping deal with each issue, whether it's legal, financial, or emotional. Yeah, yeah. And you you described that so well. Um, I'm glad we have it recorded because um, it's hard for people to understand, I think, for people who are out there listening. They often think that you go and you hire a divorce attorney and your divorce attorney is going to handle all of those aspects of your divorce. Uh, Because I think that's a sort of an old fashioned model. You mentioned that collaborative law has been around for about 30 years or so. Um, But what people don't really understand about that model is that it's incredibly ineffective, right? it's, It's just what you just said. For someone, I remember having a client um, who for many years would call me up and she would start every conversation off with, Susan, look, I know you're my lawyer, but I just want to vent. And she's like, so I'm going to talk for a while. I know you have to bill me because that's how this works, but I really just need someone to vent to. And, And I was like, absolutely. But unfortunately, I always felt lacking in those situations because as much as I wanted to help her, as you just said, it wasn't legal what we were talking about. She was upset about something or she didn't understand something emotionally or there was trauma involved and I was not the right person to help. So one of the big benefits we can talk about with collaborative is that you you mentioned it's at the table. That table can be literal or figurative. It could be virtual, but you have all of your support people for both of you and your family at that table, right? Right. And we're all committed 
to working for the family. When we sign what's called a participation agreement, we are all committing to working together, rowing in the same direction. It's a very tough line for many lawyers to understand where advocacy and problem solving can come together. In the 15 years I've done it, I feel like I've honed it, I get it, and I find the balance all day, every day. They call it the practice of law for a reason because none of us have perfected it. And I too, you know, I'm human. I can get triggered and protective and and overly zealous at times. And the best part about a team approach is that my counterpart's colleague, the attorney or a coach or somebody can get me in check and say, huh, what's that about Beth? You know, is it, are you really quiet or do you feel frustrated because you don't trust him or whatever? And again, when you're processing everything fully, it's a beautiful thing because it's a completely client-centered approach. Right there, really key, key factor. And again, another benefit. You know, the yeah. I always say that, you know, litigation, a litigation approach is very much centered on the past. You were talking earlier about the past and the future. Litigation is all about who did what, who earned what, who spent what, all of the, you know, all of that, what has happened in your past, which Yes, some of that is factual and we need to know it, but a lot of it isn't that necessary to need to know. Whereas in the collaborative process, it's all about what you were just talking about, a family-centered moving forward future process. Very few divorces have complex legal issues, you know, we that require a litigation approach. You know, there are very complex financial matters, but if you're working in the same direction, that can be easily resolved with a neutral person looking at it objectively or a neutral team looking at it objectively. Just because it's a legal issue doesn't mean it has to be a fight. And the consumer and most divorce lawyers see everything as a fight. And I get it. Believe me, I often tell people my litigation brain didn't die when I started doing this work. Oh, no. Do I want to win? Sure. But it's not about me. And what's a win for a family and a divorce? A win is having some sense of family redefined moving forward. And in litigation, rarely is there anything salvageable. Whereas with a collaborative or a mediated divorce, you have a much better shot at that. Yeah. I, I have always told clients, and I don't know if you agree, but you know, once once a practitioner has been a divorce attorney helping people go through the divorce process for a certain number of years you start to get to a point where when a client comes in and tells you sort of the facts of their case, you know, what money there is, how many children there are, general facts, usually in our minds, we can come up with sort of the settlement range of where that case is going to end up in the first meeting, like in the first hour, but it may take, yeah, it may take a year to get there because of all the other stuff. Right. But it's not that hard. Even on paper, I have a an intake form. I can look at it in five minutes before the meeting. And then once I hear the emotional piece of the story, to your point, I know the answer. And sometimes people want to hear it. But I don't know that in that first meeting, anybody's capable of hearing anything. They're so flooded with emotion. So yeah. anyway, I'm excited to tell you guys some stories about collaborative cases that are kind of the opposite of what a typical divorce lawyer would think of being an option because they're 
high conflict couples, um, kind of a common misconception is that collaborative law is only for the low conflict couple. Yeah, everybody thinks collaborative and mediation are kumbaya, around the fire, holding hands, throwing flowers in the air, which by the way, folks, very little fl flower throwing or singing yeah. goes on in these processes. Yeah. Haven't done that, burned incense, smoked weed. I haven't done any of that. And I'm going to be Yeah, no, anyway. not, not, well, maybe in my California practice, but no, just yeah, kidding. That's funny. <laughs> so the first case that I thought, um, and I'm going to blend some cases so that it, there truly is no clues as to any facts, but the first is mind numbing, even to those of us who did it. So the, uh, Facts presented as a mother who was an active alcoholic and a serious endangerment to the child. The referring attorney represented the woman. And again, in collaborative in its best form, the couple realizes the importance of team and that teams who work together do their best work together. And so they'll actually listen to their spouse's recommendation as to possible attorneys to interview for the other side. Again, it's counterintuitive. I get that. But in this case, the guy interviewed the three names he was given. I never go into a consultation with an idea as to I'm selling anybody on any process. I'm kind of the opposite. I have no idea until I meet with them. And then I give all the process options, contrary to a lot of lawyers, at least in Illinois, and I'm guessing many states, we have a duty to talk about all the process options. And it's fascinating to me that people not only don't share all the process options, but they don't actually help them figure out which one makes sense. But in this case, it was either going to have to be litigation or collaborative because of the complexities. And in litigation, the obvious way you start is with an order of protection that bars the mother from having any contact with the child because she was actively drinking, passing out, not able to care for the child without the dad being present. And all the facts were just pointed to that as being the most likely way to move forward. In contrast, I talked to him about the possibility of collaborative forming a team where the coach and a child specialist, that's the last professional I didn't bring up because we don't often use it. Sometimes we have to. But in this case, clearly you had to because somebody needed to talk to this child and understand, does she have feared? She was eight. So, you know, that's that's awfully young. Yeah. And um, eight year olds can grow very quickly when they're under that kind of stress. Right. We started with the collaborative model and um, the coach was able to help this couple craft a solution that was a step up. Um, that's a familiar term to you, Susan, but to listeners, um, it's an approach where you ease into a schedule that makes sense long-term, but you have to try on, we say in these cases, try on different options. And in this case, there were many, many, uh, a series of events that had to happen in order for mom to have more and more time. So when the couple's trying on different schedules, they're looking at what's in the child's best interest. So in this case, the coach helped the two of them craft what felt the most acceptable, the least stressful for them individually and for the child. And it took the coach interceding on that far better equipped than two lawyers as to what's in a child's best interest. 
bringing in the child specialist so the voice of the child could be heard. The coach, the child specialist, and the couple worked together the bulk of the time because, again, legally, we knew, oh, sure, dad could be the clear winner. But that's not a winner at all when we've got an eight-year-old girl who doesn't have contact with her mom. And the guy was brilliant and recognized that ultimately that's not in a child's best interest short term or long term. And, you know, now I stay in touch with many, many clients. And this one I know is six years post-divorce. And unfortunately, the outcome is still the same. But this little girl has grown up with the safety of knowing that there's a safety net and that she knows how to protect herself. And if mom's actively drinking, she has a whole strategy. She was given a plan and she knows how to implement the plan. And then, of course, there are many safeguards in cases, as you know, with addiction issues. And SoberLink is the most commonly used tool to determine whether the child can actually go. And then to have um, periodic checks during the visit, et cetera. So all of that could be implemented without it being imposed upon mom. Mom could be part of the solution to ensuring that they had a, a safety plan that everybody could live with. So that's one case that there were some complex legal issues as it related to the financials in that case. And we had a financial neutral and the team was working kind of on two separate tracks I talked to the coach and the child specialist helping on that very complex child issue. And then uh, the financial neutral is working with the lawyers to narrow the options as it relates to financial outcomes. And we worked with the couple and probably not even three, maybe four meetings. The whole case was done. And again, far less expensive, far faster And most importantly, a much more comprehensive plan, as I call it, you know, uh, they divorced with a scalpel instead of a machete. Ultimately, they still have a nice working relationship as a result. I know that some of you out there are dealing with complex financial circumstances in your divorce that are leaving you with a pit in your stomach. Well, Hollis Hardiman is a certified divorce financial analyst and wealth manager who can provide you with the guidance and support you need during the divorce process. Hollis was recently a guest expert on the show, and you can listen to her popular episode, What You Need to Know About Your Money When Starting Your Divorce. Hollis is highly trained and experienced in analyzing all aspects of divorce finance, including property division, spousal and child support, estate planning, and investment tax considerations. She works closely with you and your legal team to ensure you receive a fair settlement considering your financial needs and goals. So regardless of where in the divorce process you are, Hollis can provide you with the insights and tools you need to make informed decisions and to secure your financial future. You can get in touch with Hollis today to schedule a complimentary consultation. Just email her at hpardeman at meritfa.com and be sure to let her know you heard about her on Divorce and Beyond. Hey listeners, it's Susan. Just wanted to let you know that I have a brand new website that's dedicated to helping people grow a business and become the entrepreneur that they want to be. 
Um, it's called Susan Guthrie, your partner in success. And right now for anyone who is trying to build a business, I have a free book. It's called Building the Practice of Your Dreams, one month of daily tips for finding success. And you can get a free download of the book. So just go to the brand new website. It's SusanEGuthrie.com, all spelled out. And you'll be able to link to the book, link to both of my podcasts and all of my other resources. So go check it out. Stay tuned for more from billion dollar divorce attorney, Beth McCormick, as she shares some scenarios from actual cases that show you how to do divorce right. The reframe that I love to share as often as I can, because everybody wants to know what's fair. You and I call it the four letter F word. The reframe is what's acceptable and inevitably a couple can come together once they determine what they can both deem acceptable. If you want some more insights from this powerhouse divorce attorney to billionaires, tune in to Beth's previous episodes of Divorce and Beyond. This is the guidance that other people pay big money for. And now we return to today's show. You can't negotiate, you can't work with someone who's in active addiction. And, you know, why wouldn't that go to court? How do you protect the child? And if you think about this uh, alternate approach, what it ended up being is, and you said this word, which I think is so impactful in these situations, there's a huge difference between going to court, getting those protective orders, imposing all of these you know, restraints on mom, on the relationship between mom and daughter and dad, that then the court is honestly, as you and I both know, right, continually a part of that family's life. It just never ends. Whereas in the collaborative approach, you were able with guardrails, professional, I call them the professional guardrails, right? You had not only the coach, but the child uh, specialist, which we should define in a second. But you know, so that mom and dad actually worked together. Mom was a part of putting those guardrails in place for her dog. Well, and without going down another legal rabbit hole, to your point, there is obviously we have a duty as lawyers to ensure that she's of sound mind and has the capacity to make decisions. So that's a given. And the beauty of this approach is not only did the lawyer have the coach to help, if need be, we would have had a doctor sign off on it. It didn't get to that level. Right. Um, addiction, active addiction issues are, gosh, Susan, I don't know the numbers, but a ginormous percentage of our cases. Huge. I mean, I don't think people understand. I know more about addiction than a lot of the doctors, I feel like, after having been a divorce attorney for 30 exactly. plus years, because it's just endemic in, you know, people who are in substance use disorder, have substance use disorders, unfortunately, their relationships don't survive those. So I do, would you mind defining or just giving a little more explanation? Because I think listeners will not have heard about this idea of a child specialist before. And that's a really important, you know, person on the team, especially in a case like this. So it's added to the that role is added to the team if there are a little high conflict, a little more high conflict, and they believe that their children's voice needs to be heard. I personally have a bias that families should do everything they can before involving their children and having their children be placed in a position of having a voice. Because I feel like just like 
all parenting issues. Like you have to take your kid to the dentist. Their, your kids have to make their bed. There's all kinds of things. You have to be a parent and say yes or no on certain things. But I try not to impose my bias on things and say, if you want, if the couple wants their child's voice to be heard, the only way that it can be done in a collaborative process is through the child specialist role. And that is um, uh, another mental health professional trained in um, understanding children and or treating them or evaluating them. Uh, it's a specialized role. Often coaches are equipped to, to do both, but I'm very choosy as to who acts as a child specialist in my cases, because you have to know how to access children and, and understand them and, and listen to them and, and weigh what their wishes are with what's in their best interest and, and find that yes. sweet spot because gosh, if we all advocated for what a 13 year old girl wants, can you imagine? <laughs> Well, it'd be a very different divorce, wouldn't very it? Different yeah. World. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but but they are another. You know, I think that shows. You know, this the ability to bring a child specialist in is that opportunity in a collaborative divorce to bring in that one more professional to curate sort of your team to meet that family's right. needs, right? It's, it's, it is a process where, yes, you're going to have your core team, but there are other professionals that can take, I think it's so important that you pointed out that if you had litigated that oh. case, I can't even imagine how long and how much money it would have cost to be in there. And yet you managed to work through in a collaborative process, that divorce you said in for less than six months or so. Meeting. And mostly the time yeah. was spent mostly trying on all these options as far as what made sense for this little girl. I, I mean, right there and, and knee jerk reaction for so many people would be no way can we work collaboratively on this divorce? It would be, you know, I have to protect my child. I have to go to court, get that protective order and, and litigate this, cut off contact, that sort well, of thing. Well, in addition to thinking creatively and outside the box on process options, you have to have a really good team that does understand the concept of rowing in the same direction and doesn't just dabble in collaborative law. This is a very unique, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and advocate for all domestic violence cases or all cases with an order of protection have the ability to be collaboratively done. I don't believe that. Again, I think it's super important to go to a practitioner who understands how to intake a case and present options and talk about viability. So, Yeah. Well, and something else that you mentioned earlier is because you're 100% right. This isn't, there are many, many practitioners in all the different fields of collaborative practitioners who say they're collaborative. Um, but there's, there's, you know, there are those who get the mindset. I always say there's a huge mindset shift between being an advocate and in that standing in those shoes and being a collaborative practitioner who also advocates for their clients, at least in the attorney role. And something that uh, a really good collaborative practitioner is going to know is the other 
practitioners in the area who work well and work together well as a team. And that's, you know, one of the benefits of, say, somebody coming to you if they were here in Chicago is, you know, this is an area that you're very skilled at, but you also know team members. As you just said, you're, you're picky about who you might want to have on that team. That's to everyone's benefit to be selective in the professionals that are chosen to be a part of this family's restructuring. Correct. And again, I learned from Pauline Tesler, one of the founders of the collaborative law process. She taught a group of us about what she calls the golden apple. And the golden apple Mm -hmm. is what couple is equipped to handle this collaborative process. They almost have to sell me that they're capable of it as much as me determining whether I, um, whether they want me to work with them in the collaborative process or any other process. Cause Screening is crucial, and that's why I have such a high success rate, those of us who do it and do it well, because we're not losing cases. We screen them out before they start. Yeah, yeah, and that's a key part of it, and that's a sign of a skilled practitioner um, like you, you know, someone who knows. And and you mentioned to me another case that you had that is very different from this case, right? This case was was very much centered on perhaps the mental health and the emotional side, although you said there was some complexity around the financial. But I think you had a, another case or maybe, you know, a, a conglomeration of cases um, that was other side of the fence, ultra high net worth, really complicated finances. Very, very complex. And Similarly, um, a couple that presented pretty high conflict, um, uh, did not agree on many things, but they did agree on the need to preserve some semblance of family. And so that uh, is was a key component. And Susan, you know, in your mediation process, you do what we we know as a needs-based or goals-based negotiation, where at the beginning, people talk about their goals and their concerns, and that ultimately drives their outcome. When we start a process with a couple that presents as pretty high conflict, by doing that very exercise, it diffuses almost everything, and it builds a very nice foundation to a collaborative divorce. So, When they're hearing each other talk about their long-term, short-term goals for the process all the way to the rest of their lives, and they realize they're aligned on 95% plus of what they want on their outcome. So then that's very different than a positional bargaining that we're also used to (laughs) as lawyers. That's how we're taught. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it, when you help this couple in this case, an ultra high net worth couple, and you say, all right, you have $2 billion. Well, you each take a billion dollars and go to your home and we're done. Um, That's one approach um, rarely utilized. And again, depending what state you're in, what the law is, but more importantly, it doesn't, it doesn't always reach the couple's goals. And in this case, rarely does a case present as easily as a, let's say a $2 billion estate because 1.5 billion can be an apple and 5 billion can be an orange. And next thing you know, it's a, it's a very different case. So the, the more we um, as practitioners help the couple understand that. And usually, as you know, 
the one person is far more educated on the financial aspects than the other. So the financial neutral takes a ginormous lead in these cases on helping, as I said, gather, synthesize, and analyze all of the financial complexities. Sometimes it's enough just to have a financial neutral. Uh, A relatively new approach that's happening and almost becoming more commonplace in these bigger cases is to bring a mediator in. And that mediator, such as Susan, (laughs) would be... um, I find that to be a bit of a luxury because then that is the person who kind of manages the process. Lawyers are not always the best managers. um, And there's two of us, whereas a mediator is obviously a clear neutral. The financial neutral can take on that role. It's very, very um, time consuming and a whole separate uh, role than just synthesizing the data. There's so much emotion around money. The coach is as active in these cases because of that. I know most financial neutrals insist that the coach be present at every meeting, individual meetings with the clients. And then, of course, all all, uh, professionals are in a full team meeting. But in synthesizing and gathering the data, that coach or coaches has to be in that meeting because they're managing, you know, let's say the less informed spouse, they're managing all of, I'm going to just stereotype and call and say, that's the woman Mm -hmm. manage her fears around not understanding everything that he understands. So the coach in this particular case, one case that I'm thinking of, it was coaches because this couple was so high conflict. But again, the coaches were so skilled that they were able to neutralize virtually every issue and come to this, again, without their own personal biases. It's easy to advocate for one person or the other. It's easy to say, she's crazy or he's mean or whatever. None of that is helpful to the process, certainly, or the outcome. So in in this particular case, Did this couple want to value a business? The bulk of the marital wealth was in a business. Are we Mm going to value that business and someone's going to keep it? Are we going to hold that business together? If we hold it together, now we've divorced you as a family, as a couple, but you're not divorced in the business. Is that acceptable to one or both of you? It was the only acceptable outcome to one person and the other person who's less informed What trust would she have in that outcome? I couldn't trust you enough to stay married to you. Why can I trust you now? And again, in litigation, some businesses just can't be appraised. You know, yes, complex. And so you have to do some creative thinking. Ultimately, People get hung up on their fears and those fears and lack of trust, et cetera. Some people can be coached out of it and some people can't. So if it stays in litigation, they're stuck in their positions. The the fight is endless. That loop, that litigation loop, when I tell you millions of dollars in attorney's fees and you know who they want to blame, it's the lawyers. (laughs) 
well, yes, we know that well. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Well, ultimately, they hold the key. We don't hold the key. In a well-collaborated divorce, the answer is at that table. And professionals sometimes work harder than the couple at trying to come up with solutions. And we are exhausted by that. Yes. When you come up with solution after solution, and you know the concept, we talk often about the game of whack-a-mole. As soon as we <laughs> solve one thing, we've got eight others, et cetera, et cetera. My point in the ultra high net worth space is that you almost have to have a team if you don't want to be in the litigation loop. It's sometimes too much for one mediator to handle the emotion, the financial, the legal aspects. No, and that it's another wonderful case, as you just said, uh, that to be able to bring in that team, because what people may not, who are listening, may not understand, I think it probably surprised people to hear you say that billionaires have fear around money. Why? Oh. I mean, out, right? But they, believe it or not, folks, you know, there's fear around money, whether you have none or you have unimaginable wealth. And it's not just, there's a lot of emotion around money. I mean, it's not just fear, right? I mean, so that's something that I think people would be surprised about. And to know that having the, the coach there and the assistants and skilled financial professionals is almost the only way to move through this so that people can come out in a better place on the other side. You can litigate it, but I don't know that when you litigate it, you're going to say you came out in a better place on the other side. It's the machete and scalpel. Litigation is always a machete. It's just a bloodbath. You can't be creative or thoughtful because you're positioning and you're, you know, back to that business. Like what possible outcome is there? You know, the, a judge isn't any more wise as to an outcome than the couple is. They, they want to surrender all their control to a judge. It's unimaginable and it happens every day. We see it and we've done it, but you know, you've just given listeners two very different cases, both with elements of high conflict, both very complex and difficult cases, both that were able to be resolved and resolved. I would say, you know, they say collaborative cases. I was just doing, writing a paper on, um, collaborative divorce. And I found a stat that said, um, I think it's 87 or 89% of couples that go through a, the collaborative process are very pleased with the results on the, on the other side, um, which is not the same, by the way, with litigation folks. Um, yeah. And I would imagine these clients as they came to the end and came to a final conclusion at the table where they made decisions, where it was a client-centered focus. They were, it's hard to say in a divorce process, people are pleased. They found the process a way to come to a conclusion that didn't keep them in a litigation cycle for, for umpteen years beyond. That's right. And inevitably, every human wants control over their outcome and it affords them to have control, just like mediation does. I also, the reframe that I love to share as often as I can, because everybody wants to know what's fair. No. Um, you and I call it the four letter F word, the yes. reframe is what's acceptable. And inevitably a couple can come together once they determine what they can both deem acceptable. Yeah. What, what you can live with folks, yep. because that's the whole thing. There's, I always say there's, there's a big 
dollar sign price tag attached to your peace of mind. And yep. only you know what, what the figure is on that price tag. And yep. why don't you keep control over that? So Beth, this was, I, I love this episode because I think in just two quick examples, you've given really concrete understanding of the actual benefits of, of, of using a collaborative approach. It's so much easier, I think, to understand the way you've explained it than just to hear sort of bullet points of why you should do this. So I really appreciate your coming to speak with my listeners. As always, they love your wisdom and your, you know, your look behind the curtain of, you know, really one of the top practitioners in the country. So I, I so appreciate it. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Good to see you, friend. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.